1: From Luminary Media, this is Karamo, a podcast. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Karamo. Today, I am talking about something that I am passionate about with people who are also passionate about this subject. You know, this is an election year, so we are talking about politics, we're talking about faith, because these two things during this time of the year, especially right now with the presidential election, people are voting and they are informed and some are misinformed. They're using their religion to inform them and it's causing a lot of conflict. People are voting against their own interests. You know, and so there's this question that keeps popping up in my head, which is should your faith influence your politics? And today we're gonna be talking to someone who is having that struggle right now and we're gonna be diving deep into what they're experiencing. But then I have a very special guest, my friend, the super talented actress and activist Sophia Bush is going to be joining me now if you know about Sophia Bush you know this is a woman who's not only talented but stays involved and stays informed she's someone I love and admire and to hear her perspective I think it's going to help a lot of people to grow and to learn so without further ado friends let's get into this conversation because this affects all of us Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: I know your name is Maureen, right? Yes. Okay, and but you go by Mo. I go
2: by Mo. Yeah. I have to
1: tell you, so my godson and goddaughter, and some of my friends, all call me Momo. Really? Because of Karamo. Oh, Karamo. So they, yeah. Oh my so gosh. so we're kind of like Mo and Momo. Um, sounds like a really bad '90s cartoon, but
2: mm, I would watch it though.
1: Me too. <laughs> I would <laughs> Mo and Momo. So um, so tell me about yourself.
2: Um, Yes, I'm a social worker. I uh, have been in the Philadelphia region my whole life. I'm very, very passionate about social work. I think a lot of that came from growing up Catholic. I think a big part of having that experience when I was younger, of going to church every Sunday, what I took out of it at least was learning about how we can care and work for others. That was a really big thing that led me to choose social work as my profession, to try to be part of a bigger system of trying to support and help people in any way we can.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that is great about anybody who goes into our field is that desire to help people. But before, I kind of want to go back to is you said that, you know, faith is really important Mm -hmm. to you and that when you were in high school, some of your friends started to leave the church. And you said that kind of affected you?
2: Yeah, it was odd at first because it's like, oh, wait, I want to stick with this a little longer. I want to keep going to church and see what more I can get from it. For me, it's very centering. It's very calming. There's a relationship to God that I think is very beautiful and very loving. It was very different to still try to have these conversations with people when they took something different maybe from their education. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think something that I learned and my education definitely helped me with kind of coming to this conclusion is that I think there's a really big difference between guilt and shame. Guilt can be good sometimes. Uh, stay with me. It's a very crazy thing to say, but I think guilt can be—
1: I'm all about new Yeah, I think guilt
2: can be a call to action. I think it can kind of—it's our heart's way or our soul's way of saying that maybe I haven't done everything I can yet, and maybe I should explore that some more and see if there's any way I can, uh, you know, do more for people. And I think shame is that feeling we get when we put ourselves down for feeling guilty or say, you know what, I am not a good person because I didn't do more. And I think there's such mm-hmm. a difference between that that— um, unfortunately, I don't think all my friends got to realize, and they kind of maybe took more of the shame side. And it's like, well, I don't want to feel that way anymore, and I don't want to be part of this anymore.
1: Yeah, so how did it make you feel when you were – Basically losing your friends in a sense, even though they were still around probably, but they weren't coming to church with you and they didn't have your same ideals. How did that make you feel?
2: It was tough. Um, I found I had no one really to talk to about these things um, or how I felt or how I was trying to process how I was feeling or ideas I was trying to have or what I was trying to – you know, it's high school. You're growing up. You're learning about yourself and who you are and seeing everyone else kind of go away from something made me think, like, should I be doing this, too? Or should, should I stick with my guns or should I just like maybe stick with my guns but do it privately and not yeah. really talk to anyone about that?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of feeling alone.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who,
1: did you, who were you able to turn to and talk to during that time?
2: Honestly, a big part of that was talking to God. Every night I kind of would just talk to myself or just have conversations and try to remember like, hey, even though I feel really alone sometimes and I may not have a lot of people to speak to, I have God and He I know He loves me and that counts for something. Yeah.
1: I wanna your perspective on guilt versus shame is an interesting one. And I think that there is something to what you're saying. But to challenge it a bit, I would question because and this is not in the bay of saying you're wrong or Mm -hmm. I'm right or anyone else's. You know, when you say guilt is a great way to propel you, what about those individuals who were in the church who felt guilt about their sexual orientation or their gender identity or have felt like the church has told them that their role as a woman or a person of color is a certain place that is negative or can Mm -hmm. be perceived as negative?
2: Yeah, and I would not want to confuse that because that is such a real thing, and there's so many people out there who experience that. Mm-hmm. That's where I personally struggle sometimes too, because after being told something uh, for a long period in your, your life, you kind of figure out, well, what do I think about this, and how does that compare? Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be really hard to reconcile that sometimes, because I know people have had very negative experiences, um, and that makes me very sad to hear that, because I know the church can be a very loving and supportive place, but not always for everyone. Yeah, and I've definitely had friends who are LGBT. TQ and uh, he either left their religion or some who still stick with religion because of what they can get through their faith. Um, they may not always like what the church is saying, but they know that there's something more personal with their relationship with God or there's something that they can still get out of it. And I think that's, they're some of the most courageous people I know.
1: You know, for me, I, I, I have a very similar experience. I I am um, a devout Christian. Mm-hmm. I talk about it all the time. Um, one of my castmates, Bobby, he and I are the closest of friends, and mm-hmm. yet we are on two opposite sides of the spectrum where he is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God or organized religion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I am the opposite side. I'm like, Sunday, Wednesday, sign me up. You know, like, (laughs) I I love the experience of fellowship and I love to, I believe in a higher power. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a point in my life where I did walk away from the church because of the guilt and shame that I experienced of someone telling me that I was wrong. But similar to what you said, I had to reconcile and realize that that is not the position of God that as I know him. That's a position of a Bible or a document that has been rewritten by man. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell people when you look at your Bible, it doesn't say God's version. It says King James version or someone else's version. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, um, <laughs> so I could just write a book right now and my version is in it because, yeah. you know, I'm going to be like everyone's free and equal and, you know. So I I understand that perspective. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now we're in a space, especially in our our day and age, where you turn on the TV and you don't have to go to church because political candidates, political pundits on every news channel use religion and their faith as politics. And it seems like from what you shared with me in the email that that's something that's happening in your own life as well. Can you talk to me about that?
2: Yeah. Um, I've definitely been called a cafeteria Catholic before, which just means that uh, people say, I pick and choose the parts of the religion I want to believe in or take with me. And with that being said, I think that it can be really easy sometimes to judge other people and the things they pick and choose. The climate out there right now kind of makes you feel like you have to be part of one or the other, that you can't really be both. You can't be liberal and you can't be Catholic uh, because people will turn on the TV and see those things on there and they'll have like, oh, this is what I think Christians are. This is These are the people who are speaking the loudest about christianity and that must be true yeah. and so when i meet you you must be like that also mm-hmm. um and it's really really hard because i definitely get generalized a lot for that um i have friends who are catholic i have friends who are liberal and i think they both both sides don't fully understand where i'm coming from or the position that i'm at or the things that i believe yeah. because on the surface level they really do seem to contradict each other they seem very diametrically opposed they see me could not be any closer together
1: Everyone's screaming at each other. I think that causes a big issue because we're not able to have the hard conversations that we we should be having so that we can come to a point of respect and love and understanding. And for me, when I think about religion, that's always what I think about um, is that at the core of religion is love. There was a statement that I heard when I was in, I think it was like seventh grade, God is love. And that always stuck with me and said, if that is what this being is is love then anything that's within this building that is not of love is not of god yeah i've always used that as a guiding compass for me and so anytime i have conversations with people the hard conversations that happen when people use their faith and their politics and sort of combine them i always go back to is love involved in this conversation <laughs> because if love is not involved in this conversation then Where are we going?
2: Yeah.
1: Because if love's not involved, that means hate's involved. And hate never wins, and it never gets us to a place of unity and support and all the things that we do as social workers. Yeah. So for you, when people have those conversations where they're involving their politics, how does that make you feel?
2: No, it can be difficult when people don't take sensitivity into the issue where they think, I'm not afraid to say what I believe, and they may not realize how that hurts someone else. Mm-hmm. And so I think people are entitled to have their opinions. I just, but like you said, we have to listen to each other. I think that's just so important yeah. because everyone is really angry right now and you feel like you're not being heard unless you're screaming.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and I think one of the most dangerous things we can do sometimes is say, well, let's just agree to disagree because then we stop the conversation conversation we're not really promoting anything more talking wise we're not saying let's let's try to understand each other better let me even though we don't agree with each other let's not make that a reason not to talk about these things completely um one of the most courageous things you can do to a, when you're talking to a person that you don't agree with is uh, instead of thinking about your next argument or thinking about your next talking point, just not say anything and then just say the words "Tell me more." Yeah. And try to let a person know that they are being heard and they are being listened. Well, to.
1: Well, empathetic listening is key, mm-hmm. and I think we've come to a place where both in religion and in politics, empathetic listening has went out the door. People are not listening to each other, and they're not. They're always waiting for their next rebuttal. Mm-hmm. They're always waiting to say my point is better than your point. So listen to me. And I think that's important as we start moving forward. But what I love about you coming here today is the ability to say that, yes, you can reconcile and have both a faith, but also have political views that are aligned of making sure that we're supporting and loving each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what's key for people to learn and understand.
2: I like having conversations like that. I want to talk to my liberal friends about Catholic things, and I want to talk to my Catholic friends about liberal things. And I know where I stand on certain things. I think it just can be difficult to have conversations sometimes because there are a lot of emotions that rise up. There are things that we want to say or we want to get angry about because everything is just so charged in our society right now. We all are very passionate about what we believe in. But there are some things that, even though I've I, I do support and believe, especially with LGBTQ rights in every single way possible, um, it can be hard to explain to people sometimes because I have a Catholic upbringing. And for them, it doesn't make sense all the time. Yeah, It's like, how do you think the way you do? Or how do you—it's it, it, not black and white. And I think there's somewhere in the middle that I belong.
1: Yeah. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Well, Mo, I got to tell you, thank you so much for having the conversations, not only here with me, but also out in the world. It's people like you who can start a conversation that can allow people to start talking and to find common ground, especially when it's based in love and support. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you. I think faith helps define a lot of people's belief systems as do politics. I think politics are a result of our belief systems, and faith is more of an influencer of those. So I think if you take some of your values that you've learned from faith, then you can't help but to apply them to how you politically view things. there's a reason for separation of church and state. Just because you choose to believe in something that other people might deem a fairy tale, doesn't mean that that should then play into how everyday life is lived by the everyday people. So if you're choosing a specific religion to follow, fine, that's a choice. Like That should have no place in politics, government, schools, anything.
1: Friends, I am so excited to be joined by someone I love and admire. She is an exceptional human being, activist, and actress. Everyone, give it up for my friend, Sophia Bush.
3: Woo!
1: (laughs) 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 So, I have to tell you something you might not know. The other night, friends, Sophia honored me um, by presenting me with an award when I was getting honored by the Black AIDS Institute, which does a lot of work around HIV and AIDS in the African-American community. And now my fiance was there, my kids were there, And um, when Sophia got up on stage to present me with my award, what you don't know, Sophia, is that when you got up there, you got a standing ovation. I did? You did.
3: Oh, my my God. God. I was trying not to cry looking at you because you were crying. I was
1: crying because you have this effect on me where you make, there's few people who can make me cry and you do it. Often (laughs) um, in good ways. And um, but I was like, this just shows the power of someone who could be in a all black space and people are just so proud of the human being that you are. You know what I mean? And that's just a reflection of who you are because as we know, people have their biases, their ignorances, and it doesn't matter if it's an all black space, all white place, all LGBT space, people sometimes have that. How does that make you feel knowing that you can walk into a space and because of the work you've done, people respect you and honor you?
3: Honestly, that was so special. That night was so special. And when when I got the call and you know, my team was like, Hey, will will you go and do this for Karamo? I was like, Oh my God, of course. And then I'm like, "When? what's the event and what's going on? I said yes before I even knew what it was. I was like, of course. And, and then I'm, I'm looking it up and I'm, I'm reading up on the black AIDS foundation and all the work that they're doing. And I was like, you're sure they want me to do this though. Cause I mean, <laughs> I want to go, but I also want to be really cognizant of the fact that like, not everything needs to be for me. Yeah. The number of incredible people that I met and the woman who, who runs the whole show yeah. came up to me afterwards and was like, we need more women like you in spaces like this. And then I started crying and yeah. she and I had like a love fest together and it meant the world to me because look at the end of the day, I, I think that everyone feels a little trepidatious about how to show up for each other in the best ways possible. Mm -hmm. And I know that as a woman, when I talk about what's going on with women in the world, I'm like, it can't just be us. Like men have to show up for us and advocate for us and advocate with us. But we also require sometimes all female spaces Mm -hmm. because we need a break. And I'm very cognizant that for people of color, that is also a reality. And so I, I want to be sensitive to like, I don't need to insert myself into every space, but when I'm invited into a space, I want to be present and I want to learn and I want to, yeah, to show up in, in, in the right way. Yeah. And it, it was really, it was really, really like one of the greater nights I've had as, As like a person who shows up in in activist spaces, I was like, oh, this is like deeply meaningful to me.
1: Well, it was meaningful to everyone in that room. That's why we all stood and you had me crying. But I think there's something that you just said, which I love. I come from that school of Oprah of like repeating things. I think sometimes Mm. things get lost and there's solutions in those like statements. You said not every space is for me. How do you recognize and, and figure out in your own self, especially when you wanna do good? Because I think that's an issue people have. I wanna do good, but how do you, what, what is the process you go through to say to yourself, maybe this space is not for me? And then I have another question after that.
3: Mm. I just think it's about the awareness. Mm-hmm. And you know, when, when I've talked, cause look, at the end of the day, it also can't just be on whatever group of oppressed people is experiencing oppression to be their own advocates. Mm -hmm. And so I have had the good fortune and I have shown up in the right spaces and I've been able to learn from people, whether that's learning how to be the best advocate for the LGBTQ community that I can or learning how as a white woman to advocate for people and especially women of color. Mm -hmm. None of us knows how to do this right, right out the gate, you know? It's learning how to ask the questions. It's also shutting up and listening to what other people's experiences are. And, and when some of the women of color who I do a lot of political work with say, hey, we need you on this. Like, it can't just be us yelling into the vacuum. Like, mm-hmm. we need white women to step up on this issue. I'm always like, great, I'm in. Also, if I'm going to do this, can I can I check what I'm doing first. Like Mm. when I, when I got to introduce Melina Abdullah, who's one of the founders of Black Lives Matter LA, um, at the women's March, I was like, Hey, this is how I want to talk about how we should be following black women in the political sphere. This is my speech that I wrote about you. Is this okay? And Mm -hmm. she was like, screaming from the rooftops. And I was like, okay, great. But it's like, just have enough humility to ask Mm. and ask the questions when you don't know something ask. And that's why sometimes I'm like, just a question like is this okay can i come to this
1: the humility to ask yeah. i think that i think that's a really big lesson because a lot of people don't realize that especially when they're do-gooders and i, I i've suffered from this before in the past i'm like no i have a platform I, I i have the knowledge i should be able to get up and do good for you but you have to have the humility to say to someone and who's inviting you to their space or whose space you want to help them in their community and say Is it okay what I'm saying? Is it okay what I'm doing? Is it okay?
3: And is it helpful? Mm -hmm. Like, is what I'm doing helpful or is it distracting? Yeah. And that's a big one. And look, like, again, none of us just knows how to do this. I am sure when I think about the mistakes I know I've made, I'm like, I can't imagine all the fucking mistakes I've made that I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> like, Cause I'm aware of the things Pretty I've just,
1: done I'm right. with you. You know, like
3: whether it's like a bad date or like a thing that I said yeah. that was not fully informed, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. But I think that over time, if you want to learn and if you really, for me, like I just really love people. I believe in us. And sometimes that's hard. And sometimes yeah. it's painful to feel on such a deep level. But if I don't, follow those feelings if i don't honor the level to which i care for people then i don't know what i'm doing here yeah and and so for me i think it's always like read another article ask another question go to another meeting Mm -hmm. you know support people where you can and and yeah it was i mean to round it out like it was really special to be in that room with you and thank you it was great
1: you're a hollywood actress you're a white woman a lot of the things that you take up and you support, you don't have to actually show up at any of these spaces. Where did this come from? This drive and this need and this desire to want to help.
3: I've always wanted to help since I was a kid. Things just get to me in a in a real way. And when I look back, I can see the whole path to getting here. What I realize is that there's just such a clear understanding for me of right and wrong Mm. and just and unjust, And, and when I, when I think about going from being an environmental activist, which, you know, I'm still out there trying to be like, hello, science is science. Two plus two equals four. Climate change doesn't care. If you're a Democrat or a Republican, it's happening. And we need to do something about it. Like Mm -hmm. the number of climate refugees, that we're about to have, I mean, we had over 7 million last year, and they're estimating that 2020 we're going to see 22 million climate refugees mm-hmm. around the world. Like, we need to do something about this. That should be clear. I was about to say that is clear, but apparently not to everyone. So, it should be clear. The things that always lit me up were the environment and education. So, you get really into if you're like me and you're a data science nerd, people are like, What are you doing all day? I'm like, re- Reading. reports and like medical (laughs) journals and the news and then Twitter and then talking to activists online. Like that's just what I do all day. And when you start to really get into these spaces, you look at what happens if say there is a, an area where they've had an environmental disaster, it's very often women and people of color who are affected first. When you look at education and disparity. When women are oppressed in education systems, those environments are worse for all people. When you start looking at what that then means, whether we're talking about Ethiopia having a water shortage and then girls not going to school because they have to walk for water... So when you then start looking at the disparities in education in certain places in the United States and you see where education is being suppressed, people are actually voting against their own interests. And you can see, because we have data on everything, when people have knowledge, they vote in a certain way. And when they don't, they vote in another way. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just a fact. You start then looking at some of these spaces which claim to be, you know, pro-family, which are voting against families, women, and children. Mm -hmm we're not being logical here. And you start to see how all this stuff is connected. And for me, I will never get over when I decided to get online into the social media space. I was like, I don't want anybody prying anymore in my business than they already do. Like I came up on TV in the era of, you know, Perez Hilton and just Jared and like the gossip sites being horrible. I just didn't want any more attention. And then I realized I was silencing myself. And then Deepwater Horizon happened. So I flew down to Louisiana to meet with all these really great environmental attorneys from Global Green. And we went to Gulf Shores. And I saw busloads of young black men being brought in from the poorest parts of Louisiana being put in white jumpsuits and told they could not wear respirators while they were cleaning up this oil spill on a beach, cleaning up carcinogenic toxins that they know cause cancer because the respirators, quote unquote, looked bad on the nightly news. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at these men and they're like, oh, yeah, they said if we put the respirators on, they'll fire us. And I was like, this isn't happening to like the rich white sons of people with money in the city This is not okay. And you see how all these systems are connected. And then I also had to admit some of my own ignorance. You know, I grew up in LA. My dad is an artist. I grew up in a super queer, super diverse, amazing community of my family's friends. My parents lost 40 to 50% of their friends in the 80s during the AIDS crisis. I have marched in gay pride parades since I was a little kid. I have always been really proud of, like, growing up in a city where, like, I grew up listening to Tupac and I, you know, grew up, like, going to K-Town and eating Mexican food that's real Mexican food. Yeah. And, and I was always like, yeah, LA's amazing. And it took me a long time to understand how actually segregated even Los Angeles is. Yes. When I moved to the South, I moved to North Carolina and I was like, oh, places are still like this? This is weird. Yeah. And it actually took me leaving LA to come home to start to understand the way that South LA has been oppressed, mm-hmm. the way that, you know, Beverly Hills was created to have all these one-way streets so that yeah. people who weren't from there didn't know how to get around there. Yeah. You know, the more that you see and the more curious you are, the more you learn. And for me, I want to go deeper and deeper and deeper because our liberty is bound together. Yeah.
1: You said, learn your own ignorance, which I think is very powerful. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm going back to that sentiment is because you clearly stepped away, checked what you didn't know, and have done the work. But when I think about someone listening to this who could say, I see there's stuff going on, but I don't see how it applies to me, or who thinks maybe people just need to work harder, or may say my own personal reactions to these issues isn't ignorant or adding to the problem, I want you to talk to that person by sharing what work is did you do so that you could understand that your lack of true education on the experiences of oppressed people was ignorant on your part?
3: When I was younger, this idea of like doing aid work Mm -hmm. was always foreign. Communities around the world need our help. I don't believe there's such a thing as other people's children. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. But it got very interesting to me Campaigning, you know, in elections and traveling around and like we always joked on the first Obama campaign they would always send me to like around the Carolinas or to Texas or to Iowa and I was like, <laughs> I wanna make a shirt that says Bush for Obama and just like see how it goes. And because I can work in those spaces, but I realized traveling around, I was like, wait a second, what's going on here? What's happening to the school in this small town in Texas doing environmental work, hearing we have 40% food waste in America and understanding how many millions of kids go to bed hungry every night. I was like, wait a minute, it's happening all around us. It was always easier to think people somewhere else need help. It's a little easier to sleep at night when you think, well, it's not happening here, mm-hmm. but it is. Yeah. Whether it's poverty, food scarcity, sex trafficking, environmental devastation, like look at Flint. Yeah. It would cost $180 million to fix the pipes in Flint and the government says we can't do it. Yeah. And Donald Trump approved $3.2 trillion for bombers we don't need because we already have a bunch. We have the money. We're not investing it properly. We have the ability to help each other, but we're not often taught how. Show up in a space, learn, ask questions, and just acknowledge what you don't know. It doesn't make you a bad person. Realizing that I grew up, you know, the daughter of an immigrant in a super diverse community, I also was like, yeah, but then in middle school, I started going to school in Pasadena and like, it's pretty white. Yeah. And I, I never knew there was like an irony to knowing every single word to the chronic 2001 album when Dr. Dre dropped it my <laughs> senior year in high school and like having two girls in my grade that were black. Yeah. Like I didn't even know that I didn't know enough about their experience at yeah. our school. That's beautiful. And my school granted, there was great diversity like i went to school with people from all walks of life with girls who you know came from india with girls who were latin with girls who were black with girls who were south asian i was lucky that i got to meet so many people but there were still only ever a couple in like a sea of mostly white girls how do i increase a person's level of comfort and what do i not know about their experience mm,
1: that is great It's important that you're able to be honest and admit that, because I think there's going to be someone who is listening to you who is going to finally understand that there's a need for them to try to understand the experiences of others. And if they don't, it can be construed as a lack of empathy. The truth of it is you don't have to solve all the problems, but you can't be blind to them either. You said, which I think is super important, is that people vote against their own self-interest. I've said this before, and I think it's a conversation we should be having more. When you see women, people of color or LGBT people who voted for Trump, Pence, for instance, my first thought is always, what did you hear that would make you want to vote for someone who has been clear they want to take away your rights? What makes you want to vote against your own self-interest? So what do you think we can do to have more open conversations to help people see that they may be voting against their own self-interest?
3: I think, again, the thing that I always like to go back to is data. Yeah. Because there's a thing called confirmation bias, Mm -hmm. which I think is really interesting, where let's say you believe for this argument, you believe the sky is green. Mm -hmm. You're like, no, it's green. And I I read the thing online on that website and it told me and my mom said it and that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And then- we're able to literally provide you with scientific proof that it's blue and why and how the light spectrum works and whatever, more often than not, it'll make you double down on your belief that it's green. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to start looking at information. And for example, and like I get that it's a really hot button issue for people. When we talk about the abortion issue, people get testy. People become single issue voters about something that literally doesn't affect them that is only the business of other families. Like, at the end of the day, it's not my business. No matter how I feel about it personally, it's not my business.
1: But that's influenced by religion. So do you believe we are in a space where people should have their religion influence how they vote?
3: I care if you believe your religion has more rights to infringe on my life than my beliefs or my religion. I think it's really interesting to know that during the Obama administration, because of the increase in all reproductive care and healthcare access for women, abortions fell to a historic low. But Trump and Pence are arguing like, this is a thing. And it's like, no, no. If you want them to continue to fall, you need to provide comprehensive reproductive health care to women so that they don't ever get to the last step. They have all these steps in between. Mm -hmm. But now we're we're looking at an administration that claims to be pro-life, but that's also trying to stop insurers from carrying birth control, which would prevent women from getting pregnant in the first place. So the data says they don't actually care. They don't. What they want to do is they want to weaponize a private and personal issue for political gain and make people hate each other so that we're not paying attention to the fact that they're defunding important social programs like Medicaid and Medicare, which we've paid into, by the way. The government's not giving us that. We've paid into those systems, and now they're saying they're gonna cut funding for it so we can spend money on a stupid wall? We've, we, we're we being kind of brainwashed to believe that Things are more sort of hysterical and emotional than they are. When we look at things to say, I've got to look at what the reality is. And if I don't like it, I have to take a deep breath and really think about how it's going to affect people. Like I never understood why anyone ever protested gay marriage. Cause I was like, okay, if you don't like gay marriage, don't marry someone with the same sex parts as you.
1: Yeah. As you expressed earlier, the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion, and I'm one of those people who have always had to be armed with the truth of the Bible to be able to combat the mistruths that people use to condemn others. It's like homosexuality. The verse people use um, to condemn homosexuality are about pedophilia and have nothing to do with consensual loving relationships between two adults of the same gender. It's about that weaponizing the Bible to persuade people to vote a certain way that is so horrible.
3: Yeah, it's so strange. And again, I don't care how you worship in your own house, but when you say your religion is meant to set the law of the land, Mm -hmm. most of the people who are claiming that in this sort of evangelical space are also the people who are demonizing Muslims and people from the Middle East for their religion, and they're saying, we won't let that Sharia law come here. And I'm like, but wait, when you tell me the Bible is supposed to set the law for my body, who I can marry, and how I'm allowed to live in the world, that's the same thing. Yeah. It We just get like so worked up about stuff that isn't real.
1: I work with an organization called Family Equality That's one of their focuses is adoption. And it's interesting because the Trump-Pence administration is fighting so that LGBT people and single women can be denied the right to adopt, that each adoption agencies have the right to discriminate based on their, quote-unquote, religious beliefs, which is infuriating on so many levels. But I think about it, the same administration is saying women shouldn't have freedom over their reproductive liberties. So if a woman wanted an abortion, you're saying she can't have one, and then you're also saying that the child— you are forcing this woman to have cannot be adopted by a loving and qualified home because the person may be a member of the LGBT community or a single woman. So in your almighty morality, which persuades people to vote certain ways, you're saying the Bible is saying this is wrong for women to have control of her body. But does it also say that children should be left without support and love? It's crazy to me.
3: It doesn't make any sense. And to your point, it's like, okay, wait, so you're telling me that if a woman who is not married, gets pregnant, she should absolutely be forced to have that child, but then you're telling me that a woman who is not married is not allowed to adopt a child. So you're telling me a single woman is too irresponsible to be a mother, but then you're telling me that a single woman's gonna be forced to be a mother against her will. I don't understand where we stand on this.
1: Exactly, it doesn't make any sense. You know what, I'm about to start the new hashtag, Senator Sophia. Love it. Can we start that? Love it. I know you're an accomplished actress, host, and author, but everyone listening, let's start hashtag Senator Sophia. And I'm not saying this is what you're trying to do, but would you ever consider running for office?
3: I actually think I'd really love to do that. I think I would love to hold an office eventually. Mm -hmm. But I'm also really clear on where I'm at in my life. And I'm like, oh, I have some stories I want to tell. I like want to meet my person. I want to yeah. be a mom. I want to do some things before I I fully dedicate to, to that.
1: So what is something people don't know about you that you wish they did?
3: Because so many people see me advocate a lot. They think that me as the advocate is who I am all the time. That's not to say that it isn't but it's to say that there's other layers and so often now when people who follow my advocacy will you know message me or ask me in person and they're like can you give me some tips on how to be more confident i want to be as confident as you some of these it's a lot of young women and i'm like oh baby girl there's no one meaner to me than me yeah like that's what you don't know mm. you know when i'm getting trolled or whatever i'm like oh cute that you think you're going to get under my skin nope nobody's as hard on me as me yeah. People think like, that person thinks they have it all. That person looks like they have it all. That person must really be into themselves. And maybe I'll be the one who knocks them down a little bit today. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have no idea what's happening, What, what it is for me to like be an anxious person who's alive in a body. It's not easy, no matter how it looks. And so that's something I think is important to talk about.
1: How do you deal with that?
3: I had a friend say something to me years ago that rocked me. I was working in North Carolina. I used to work with this incredible woman named Jojo. And I was sitting with her in the hair and makeup trailer one day. And I was just like, and this and this and this. And I can't believe it. And I just, I was like really shooting all over myself, you know? She spun the chair around and she grabbed me by the shoulders and And she swore at me, (laughs) I was like, oh my God. And she goes, you watch your fucking mouth. You are talking about my best friend that way. I was like, oh my God. If I ever heard someone talk about one of my friends the way I'm talking about myself, Mm -hmm. I would flip out. I'd be like Tony Soprano. Yet I think this is okay. (laughs) And that's not to say that that from that day it changed, but it, it shook something in me the pattern of self-doubt and negative self-talk and all of those things. And it's never gotten me anywhere better. And as a person who really likes to look at solutions and as a person who really believes people deserve a little more or a lot more tenderness than we give them, Mm -hmm. I finally had to realize that if I believe the world deserves tenderness, then so do I. But it's a practice. Yeah. It's a daily practice. And sometimes, like, sometimes my anxiety is so bad. Sometimes I wake up in the morning in a panic, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I've learned to literally, I lay like this and I'll put my left hand over my heart and my right hand over my abdomen and I'll just, like, breathe and sort of hold myself a little bit yeah. and, like, check in, you know, remember that I'm a person in a body and that the way that I put hands on the people who I love, the way that I hold people who I love, that's how I deserve to be held. Mm. And and I think that we have to start learning how to do those things for ourselves because otherwise we expect our partners or our friends or our family to be the one who does that for us. And then in our interactions, we're looking for soothing rather than looking for connection.
1: Mm looking for soothing rather than looking for connection. Mm. I think that is such a beautiful practice. For anyone listening who could be shitting all over yourself and you see that as a pattern throughout your days, I want you to stop right now. Put your left hand over your heart and your right hand over your stomach. Everyone do it with me, I'm doing it right now. And just take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And I think that is such a beautiful way to end this interview. Thank you, Sophia. I truly love you. Everyone, again, give it up for the funny and talented and smart <laughs> Sophia Bush.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Living in America, it is obvious that there needs to be a separation of church and state. However... I do believe that depending on what country you're from, certain countries were formed with certain religious and ideological beliefs. I would not judge somebody if they did bring faith into politics, because if you do go back to American history specifically, they did talk about that a lot. Let's say I'm Christian and they're Jewish, I would totally vote for a Jewish person. But I don't think it's wrong for somebody to bring faith into it because certain countries were founded on faith-based merits. I think
1: faith and religion are two separate things that people don't really consider. I think your faith and the way that it affects who you are, I think that's unavoidable. I think it's going to affect decisions, political or otherwise, in your life. Um, I do think that you need to be able to differentiate and kind of separate those two things. When it comes to making decisions that affect everybody, I don't believe in forcing one's opinions on other people. I think it's a good thing for you to be able to consider your faith and who you are based on that for decisions. But more rigid, religious kind of things, I don't think that that should affect those decisions either because not everyone agrees and not everyone falls in line with that. Friends, I hope you have enjoyed this episode as much as I have because I have learned so much and I feel like I am better equipped to go out into the world and have conversations about politics and about religion with people who may not see eye to eye with me. At this point, we have to understand that it's important for us to get the facts, Look things up, research them. There are a lot of talking heads on television, in the media. News sites have so much opinion thrown in there that a lot of times things still get muddled, which you start taking in and start repeating and start feeling like that's facts. But trust me, you listening to this right now, you are smart enough. You have the knowledge and you have the access. Do the research. Just think about one thing that is an issue that you want to focus on this election year. Look it up from credible sites, not from opinion sites. You can find out true facts. If there's legislation about females and females' bodies and you're a man, talk to another woman. Ask her what her experience is. If you're figuring out LGBTQIA rights, talk to someone in the community. Get involved. This is an election year. And if you do not know, you need to be registered to vote. So. Go to vote.org, because your voice matters. Friends, as always, thank you for listening and growing with me. Make sure to hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Karamo to let me know your feelings about today's episode. Till next time, take care of yourself and each other. Karamo, a podcast, is an entertainment show. For advice or support on any emotional or mental challenges, please contact a licensed professional in your town. This show was produced by Coramo, Nick Panella of Workhouse Media, and assisted by Ellie Charles. All music composed by Ernie Wooden and the Big Woozy Band, and all episodes are edited by Nathan Moody. Thank you for listening and growing with us.